All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to um, John chapter 4. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. We are beginning a new series entitled Follow Me, um, which if you've spent any time reading the Gospels, um, you know that those are the words that Jesus spoke to those who eventually became his disciples. And what we're going to do throughout this series is sort of examine um, what it really means to follow Jesus, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I kind of want to illustrate this point by asking you guys a couple of questions. First of all, how many of you would say um, that if somebody asked you if you were a Christian, you would say, yes, I am a Christian, loud and proud? Okay. Take a look at those who aren't raising their hands because that's an opportunity to share the gospel, okay? Um, Most likely they already know, but they're just refusing to raise their hands. Um, But that's awesome. The vast majority of you claim to follow Jesus because that's exactly what being a Christian means. Being a Christian means that you follow Jesus. It it doesn't mean that you're part of a certain religion. It doesn't mean that you ascribe to a, a set of rules and regulations. Christian literally means a follower of Jesus. Now, let me ask the second question. How many of you would say that you completely understand what it means to follow Jesus, that, that, that you know what all of the implications are for following Jesus, you've counted the cost, you completely understand how Jesus impacts, how following Jesus impacts every day of your life? How many would you say you understand that? Okay, far fewer of you raise your hands than those who claim to follow Jesus, right? So for the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at what that really means. And the way we're going to go about this is by looking at the lives of the 12 young men who, who literally, physically follow Jesus here on the earth. Like, like their job description was literally wake up and stay close to Jesus, right? Where he goes, we go. When he stays, we stay. When he eats, we eat. When he goes to bed, we go to bed. For three and a half years, that was what their life looked like. Now, the Bible declares that those of us who have accepted the free gift of God's grace, we are now the disciples of Jesus, who literally, physically follow Jesus here on this earth. The only little caveat is that Jesus is now invisible. How awesome is that? (laughs) Um, We don't get the luxury of seeing his footsteps in the sand before us. We don't get the luxury of undeniably hearing his voice in our ears. Instead, we follow him by faith. We are connected to him by the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent to live inside of us and so now the ever-present, we, we follow the ever-present yet invisible Jesus. And that can be a challenge. And at times that can be really difficult. And so I'd like to talk about what it really means to follow Jesus. Because at, at times I think that you and I believe that we're following Jesus, but I wonder sometimes if we take days off or take weeks off or if we avoid certain trips that Jesus wants to take us on. 
which is basically what's happening here in John chapter 4. Jesus takes his disciples on a trip through Samaria. And And through the disciples' experience on this trip, we can learn a little bit of what it really means to follow Jesus. So let's begin with John chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So for some reason, the Pharisees had turned John's ministry and Jesus' ministry into a competition. They were counting numbers. They were keeping score. If they had the opportunity, they probably would have posted on Facebook. But Jesus isn't here to compete. So he decides to leave Judea and go to Galilee. Now, one of the most easiest, easy to overlook verses in this, in this chapter, but profound in its implications, is verse 4. It's a very short verse, but it says, He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, for a Jewish person living at this time, the idea of traveling through Samaria would have made them very uneasy because there was a great deal of animosity that um, existed between the Samaritans and the Jews that dated all the way back to 722 B.C. See, after the death of King Solomon, which King Solomon was David's son, there was King David... And then there was King Solomon, and he built the temple. After King Solomon's death, the nation of Israel became split because the new king, Solomon's son, whose name was Rehoboam, he ignored wise counsel to lighten the tax burden, right? The temple is now complete. There's no need for the heavy burden of taxes. All the, the, the temple's been built, it's been filled. There's no need for it anymore. And all of his counselor says, you need to lighten the tax load. And he refused to do it. And so another guy by the name of Jeroboam led a rebellion. And 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel um, rejected Rehoboam as their king and formed the northern kingdom of Israel with Jeroboam as their king. I know it gets confusing, right? There's Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and it's like, okay, which one is which? Just think of it like this. Think of it as J-Dog and R-Cat, okay? <laughs> J-Dog is Jeroboam who led the rebellion, and there's R-Cat who tried to, you know, enforce, you know, stiffer taxes. Um, it's kind of like, have you ever seen a dog submit to a cat, right? But the cat's always trying to get the dog to submit. All right, it's a bad example. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> the only tribes that... Only the tribes of Judah and Benjamin remained loyal to King Rehoboam, or Arkat, which became the southern kingdom of, Ju- of Judah. And, and their, the capital of Judea was Jerusalem. But the, re- the rebelling tribes who followed Jeroboam, they, made, they formed the northern kingdom of Israel, and their capital was Samaria. All right? So the kingdom split. You got Samaria as the capital of the northern kingdom, Jerusalem as the capital of the southern kingdom. Then 209 years later, the the kingdom of Assyria completely conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. 
and the majority of its people were carried off into captivity back to Assyria. But the king of Assyria sent people from Babylon and other cities to go and inhabit Samaria, along with the the remaining Jews who lived there. So these foreigners then intermarried with the Israelite population that was still in and around Samaria, and they worshipped the gods of their own land that they came from. And so what happens is that God sent lions to kind of terrorize them. Have you ever seen the movie Ghost in the Darkness? It's, it's just like that, right? God sent these lions to terrorize them, and, they're, and these lions are killing people. It's, it's a real-life Ghost in the Darkness scenario. You should read it. It's in 2 Kings 17. It's fascinating. Um, and so the king of Assyria gets told what's happening, that these lions are attacking. And... Um, he was told the reason that these lions are attacking is because they didn't honor the God of that land. So the king of Assyria decides, okay, I'm going to take one of these Jewish priests that I've taken into captivity, I'm going to send him back, and he's going to go teach all these people that I've sent there to inhabit Samaria the Jewish religion. And so he does. He teaches them the, the writings of Moses, uh, the teachings of Moses, but they... Um, they still remained, they still retained many of their idolatrous customs that they grew up with. And eventually, the Samaritans embraced a religion that was like a mixture of Judaism and idolatry. So, because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with these foreigners and had adopted their idolatrous religion, Samaritans were generally considered half breeds and were universally despised by the Jews. And now, here in John 4, Jesus is leading his disciples into Samaria. Jesus leads his disciples to a place they've spent their whole lives avoiding. He leads them into the hometown of those they despise and who most likely despise them in return. Going on, verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please, give me a drink. He was alone at, that time, at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have nothing to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So Jesus meets this, this woman, and she is, how should we say an ancient version of a desperate housewife, right? She's been married several times. She's now now the guy that she's with, she isn't even married to. She's living with this guy. And Jesus basically tells her all this, and she goes, I perceive you are a prophet. And But then she sort of deflects the attention off of her, and she starts engaging Jesus in, in, in a discussion about worship. She starts debating him about worship. You know, we say we should worship here, you say that. And Jesus, of course, you can't argue with him. And so she finally realizes that she's not equipped to, to, 
to, to debate Jesus. So she says, well, I know the Messiah, verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Verse 26, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, right as Jesus is revealing himself to this woman, just then the disciples came back. and They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants, another harvests, and it is true. I sent you to harvest where you did not plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. So it's abundantly clear here that Jesus is using this as a teaching opportunity for his disciples. But I think this trip through Samaria served a couple of different purposes. First, that Jesus reveals himself to a village of people in Samaria, which is pretty cool, right? Um, I mean, and he uses the most unlikely person to do this. A woman, for one thing, who has no rights, is not respected in their culture, but she was the most immoral woman of that community. She, I mean, on the social hierarchy, she was like the lowest of the low. There's another purpose that I want us to focus on this morning, and that is that Jesus used this trip to grow and stretch his disciples. Which is exactly what Jesus wants to do with us as we follow him. So I want to make just a few observations from their growing experience that sort of reveal to us what it really means to follow Jesus. And the first one is this. Following Jesus means addressing what you would have otherwise avoided. A lot of people talk about following Jesus, but many conveniently avoid what is difficult or uncomfortable. And yes, God loves you, and yes, you're still on your way to heaven if you've trusted Jesus for your sin, but be careful when you say you follow Jesus because it becomes abundantly clear to you and to me that sometimes we take days off or avoid certain trips with him. Following Jesus means going through Samaria. 
And see, what you have to understand is that this wasn't the only way from Judea to Galilee. It may have been the shortest and most direct route, but there was a, a much more respectable way to get to Galilee, and that was going around Samaria. And that's the way the Pharisees always went, but not Jesus. Jesus led his disciples straight into the place that they spent their whole life avoiding. And the trip was preparation for what lie ahead. That's the reason I think he did it. The trip was preparation for what lie ahead. It was a precursor to what he would later tell them just before he ascended into heaven. Remember when Jesus showed back up after he, he, um, after he died and rose again? He spent 40 days uh, appearing to 500 people, the book of Acts tells us. And then right before he ascends into heaven um, for good, until he comes back again, right before he ascends into heaven, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, the city that you inhabit. And, and then in Judea, the region surrounding J Jerusalem. And then Samaria. What? You mean we got to go back there? Yes. You're going to be my witnesses to Samaria and eventually to the ends of the earth. Following Jesus means letting go of what is convenient and embracing the uncomfortable. It means that the Jesus you are walking behind who is producing progress and movement in your life, when you start to, to walk toward that which you have avoided, don't be alarmed. That's the way of Jesus. I wonder sometimes if my life is too safe. Like I know that my heart and my soul are safe and secure in the hand of Jesus, but my plans and my goals and my schedule are not safe the day I decide to follow Jesus. Right? Like I make plans all the time, and he keeps changing them. I've kind of given up on making a schedule I can count on because he keeps interrupting my schedule. So Jesus... Following Jesus means leading us, means following him to places that we would normally avoid. And then the second one is this. Following Jesus means walking toward what you don't understand. If everywhere you walk, you already understand it, then I'm wondering if you're missing out, you're missing the trips that Jesus wants to take you on. See, when those 12 men came back with lunch for Jesus, they walked directly toward not only what they had avoided, and, but they walked toward what they didn't understand at all. They're walking towards a well that was, had been debated for centuries. Is this Samaritan's well or the, the Jew's well? Um, but then here's the Jewish Jesus revealing himself to an immoral woman of a despised people group. What? This is following Jesus? They were dumbfounded. But his disciples were too afraid to ask, what in the world are you doing, Jesus? 
Have you ever had those moments? Ironically, many of us kind of put on the brakes when we're racing towards something we don't understand. But there's a good chance that you might be following Jesus. Don't be so quick to put on the brakes. Remember what God told Abraham? He says, leave the land of your father and go to the land I'm showing you. All right, where are we going? Don't worry about it. Just go. Right? Okay, well, where is go? It's nowhere. Go. Just go. And Abraham did. He just trusted God and went. And he is called the father of our faith. Are you following Jesus? Well, then there should be times when you feel like those 12 men who are walking toward the well thinking, what is going on? I don't understand. And you just don't understand why Jesus is sitting there with someone you would never give the time of day to. Which leads us to the third observation. Following Jesus means expanding our limits of God's love expressed through us. Can you imagine what the disciples are thinking? Wait, 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 wait. Jesus loves the Samaritans? Wait, wait. Jesus loves... I mean, this, this woman is a reprobate. How can he even be near her, much less talk to her? See, all of a sudden, our limited paradigm of God's love gets shattered when we follow Jesus. I mean, think about it. We all put limits on God's love, don't we? Who's that person that, most, that is most difficult to love? Who's that person you refuse to love? We sometimes identify ourselves as a people group by our, the nation we live in, and therefore it creates all kinds of people that places limits on God's love, doesn't it? Do you think Jesus loves Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS? Of course he does. He died for him just as much as he died for you, right? But most of us would be happy to see him blown off the planet, wouldn't we? Do you think you could follow Jesus into loving him? What if Jesus asked you, what if you were near him in proximity, and Jesus asked you to go love him? Not just feel love towards him, but actually sacrificially serving and loving him. Do you think you could do that? And then what do you think all your friends would say? (laughs) One day, Jesus met a tax collector named Levi, and he said, follow me. And Levi eventually became Matthew, who wrote the first gospel. But shortly after Jesus invited him to follow him, which he did, by the way, he just left his tax collector's booth, left it behind and followed Jesus. Shortly after that, he invited Jesus and all his disciples to a dinner at his house 
with all of his tax collector and sinner friends. And the Pharisees got all bent out of shape with his disciples. Which is something you have to prepare for, right? When you're following Jesus into expressing love towards people who usually fall outside the limits of God's love, prepare to be criticized by religious Pharisees. Because it'll happen, I promise you. Luke 5, verse 30 says, But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? So they're addressing the disciples, but Jesus steps in and answers the question. Jesus answered them and said, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those who think... No, I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. God forbid that we ever become a church that has no need for Dr. Jesus. And what I mean by that is that the essence of religion is to believe that our truth is closed and finished and done. Right? We've all experienced it in modern forms of religion. And so you have to be careful when you venture into the lifestyle that says the word of God is complete, it is settled, it is done. And that absolutely is true. But your understanding is not complete. Your understanding of the Word of God is not complete yet. Your your understanding is not settled. And your understanding is not done. I've been a pastor for 15 years now, and do you have any idea how many things I've realized that I believed about God were untrue (laughs) during that that 15-year period? I've lost count. I've lost count of how many things I've had to say, wow, that's not true. I've got to change that, right? And for years after the resurrection of Jesus, his disciples believed that salvation was of the Jews. What if they never allowed the Holy Spirit to convince them otherwise? None of us would have a relationship with Jesus. See, to, to sit here and think we understand the vastness of God's love. To sit here and think that we understand God's empathy for the nations. And that you and I have comprehended God's love for every people group on this earth. We would be amiss to think that way. But I'm following Jesus. And there's going to be days when he leads me to places that I would have avoided. And there's going to be times when he walks me towards people and things and and situations that I don't understand. And it's in those moments that God is going to expand the limits that I have put on his love. I mean, do you realize that God's love is dependent on us to be expressed? 
1 John 4 tells us this. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. Notice that the full expression of God's love is dependent on us. If we love each other. But how will his love ever be brought to full expression if we put limits on it? Oh God, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't love that person. Look at what they're doing. Look at their lifestyle, Jesus. God, don't you see how they treat me with contempt? Surely you don't expect me to unconditionally, sacrificially love them, do you? Following Jesus means expanding our limits of God's love expressed through us. So I ask, are you following Jesus? I'm not asking if you know Jesus. I'm not asking if you're saved because you trust in his sacrifice for your sin. I'm asking if you're really following him on a daily basis. Do you feel unsettled and uncomfortable venturing into the unknown? Do you feel like the limits you've put on God's love is expanding regularly? See, the operative word in our belief system is not stay, it's go. And when was the last time you disagreed with yourself? Like, do you disagree with yourself a year ago? I hope so. I hope you're growing. Where you're like, I don't believe that anymore. I don't see it like that anymore. I'm following Jesus and I'm growing and changing continually. May we never be a community that has a period at the end of it. But may we always be a community that has a dot, dot, dot. God has more chapters to write in your life and in my life and through the life of this church. So I ask you, are you following Jesus? I want to follow him. I mean, I really want to follow him. And, and I mean, I, I just, I don't want to have just church on Sunday. I want to follow him on Monday. And then again on Tuesday, even if it was uncomfortable on Monday. And then again on Wednesday and on and on. I want, even on my day off, I want to follow him. I want him to, to disrupt my regularly scheduled program. Because where he leads is far better than we could ever go on our own. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.